I'll ask Kelly, our speaker today is Kelly Steffen. I'll ask him to come up. Uh, Kelly, I've known him uh, for a number of years now, and he is a teacher as well as the program director for the pastoral and youth ministry program at Prairie Bible College. And uh, we're excited to have him here share with us. And uh, I'm just going to pray for you before you begin, Kelly. Um, Father, thank you for Kelly. Thank you that he's uh, just a faithful servant of you, just willing to, to share your word whenever he gets the opportunity. And I just pray you bless him for that. And I just pray that he just uh, communicate your word that you've given him to us and that we just be willing to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Pastor Dave. It's it's great. I was trying to think um, how long it has been since I've been here, and I was telling telling Dave that Dave, you weren't even a pastor here. It must have been when Jordan Culp was here, so that's probably 12 years ago. And I guess they forgot about how bad I preached that time because it was a decade later, and they invited me back. But it is good to be here with you today. Um, on behalf of Prairie, we want to just say uh, greetings. And uh, we want to invite you to our centennial celebration. That's happening July 13 to 17 in Three Hills. And so I don't know if you have connections. Is there any people here who have been alumni at Prairie College? Okay, there's a couple of you. So for sure, we want to welcome you uh, back to that event. But that event is open to all of you. So there'll be a number of speakers and bands and uh, lots of things for the kids to do and and youth to do. So we want to invite you back uh, for that celebration. my wife is here today. Her name is Donna. She's uh, educational assistant at PCA. We have three kids. And as we were praying about this wedding, I have two weddings this year, so you could pray for us. Because And, and if you have another job that uh, you need an employer for, just sign me up. Um, so I told my son, uh, Nathan, I said, Nathan, I don't care how much you love your girlfriend, you're not getting married this year because we're not doing three weddings. I'd go insane. But we're really looking forward to... Uh, to those celebrations and inviting a couple of great guys into our family. Well, today I want to talk about being favored. Being favored. Uh, in his book, Cherish, author Gary Thomas talks about or recounts a story in 2015 about uh, Thailand's beauty queen. Her name is Kanitha Mint Fasang, and she won the beauty contest. But what most people don't know, what was in her background, is that she came from a very, very, very poor family. In fact, so poor that her mother uh, was a garbage collector. And so she grew up working in these garbage bins and she became famous overnight, highly favored, in fact, the most highly favored young lady in Thailand. She literally rose from the dust to become a favored one. Now, we all have favorites. And I was thinking this morning, maybe I should wear my Edmonton Oilers jersey, but then I thought I'd probably be expelled from the pulpit. I'd be okay for some of you? Okay. Well, some of you uh, had a favorite that you were cheering for during uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, we have a number of favorites. We might have our favorite soft drink that we like to drink or our favorite candy bar. Some of us have our favorite political party or maybe our favorite car or truck that we drive. And uh, we all have favorites, don't we? So I'd like you just to turn to your neighbor right now and tell them what your favorite flavor of ice cream is, your favorite flavor of ice cream this morning. All right, now that you know your neighbor's favorite flavor of ice cream, you can buy them that uh, ice cream next week and celebrate together. Uh, But how about favorites in families? I know my brother 
uh, and my sister and I, we always joke about who is mom's favorite, and usually my sister and I turn to one another and say, yeah, Shane is mom's favorite. Well, I have this clip from the 1930s, the Smothers Brothers. They uh, are comedians and folk singers, and they have a little bit of an argument about who's mom's favorite. Take a look. Sarah's family, we have Isaac favored over Ishmael. In Isaac and Rebekah's family, Rebekah loved Jacob more than Esau. And in the case of Jacob's family, it was Joseph. So imagine for a minute what was going through, you know, Joseph's brother's mind when his father made him a special coat and no one else had that. This one, this one event really affected that whole story for generations. Dr. Jill Suter, professor of sociology, says the reality is is that life events experienced by any member of the family ripples out into relationships of all members of generations of the family. So there's something about favoritism that often 
seems unfair. Why should someone be favored over another person? So if, if favoritism is kind of dangerous, not just in one family unit, but can affect multiple generations, I think it's fair to ask the question, is there really any good that can come out of favoritism? So for a few minutes this morning, I want to invite us to encounter a story in Scripture and discover why being favored by God is actually good news for us in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the big idea this morning is that God's favor is actually good favor. God's favor is good favor. Now, I want to take us back. This might be a shocker to you, but I want to take us back to an Advent story. Oftentimes, we only read the Advent story just before the end of the year, but I think it's good for us to actually reflect on the Advent story from time to time to learn about some things that actually maybe we haven't thought of before. So if you have your Bible this morning, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke, and I want to begin in chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found, now listen to this, favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now Mary, of course, a Jewish girl in a small village called Nazareth, maybe a little bit smaller than the town of Troshu. Um, many of us can maybe not imagine the impoverished living conditions of this first century Palestine. Mary was not wealthy. She would be probably a second or third class in terms of economic comparison with most young girls in Troshu or Nihil County. She had no social media account. She certainly did not have an education that most of the young women in this room have had. She didn't play basketball or volleyball. She wasn't a track star or a ba ballet dancer. But there was one thing that Mary had above all the other young women in Bethlehem that set her apart from others. Now, you might conclude that what set Mary apart was that she was a virgin. Although virginity was a condition of the birth of the Messiah, there were certainly other young women just as virtuous. It wasn't Mary's ethnicity, although we are told that the Messiah was to come from the line of David. There were other young women from the line of David. So what was it that set Mary apart? Why was Mary unique to have been given the role of Jesus' mother? Well, Mary was a favored one. Let me say that again. Mary was a favored one. And Luke uses two words in this passage to describe favor in Mary, which often we don't kind of discern when we're reading the English translation. In verse 130, Gabriel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And this word that's used by Luke is translated from the Greek word, charis or charis, which is a state of grace, a state of grace. Grace is this idea of unmerited kindness towards someone else, often with a focus of the benefit of being given something. So 
if you gave someone a gift for their birthday that really didn't deserve it, you were giving them caris. If you gave a homeless person some food without them being able to repay you back, you gave them caris. If you serve at Troshu Baptist Church without wanting any kind of repayment, you are giving caris. God demonstrates his caris to us, and caris is a fundamental aspect to the nature of God. Titus chapter 3 says, It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, easy marks for sin, ordered every which way by our glands going around with a chip on our shoulder, hating and hate, sorry, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior, God stepped in, he saved us from all that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do about it. He gave us, gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously, God's gift has restored a relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more to come. Such good news. Are you ready for good news this morning? Because that's what's going to happen. In J.D. Greer's book, Gospel, he writes this. In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Let me say that again. In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. That is the gospel. Because God loves you more than you can imagine, you don't actually have to impress God this morning. You don't have to work at gaining brownie points with God. You don't have to walk an old lady across the street 10,000 times to get credit so that God would somehow love you more. You don't have to try to be good to please God, to gain his favor. It is in Christ alone, and there is nothing you have done to make God God love you less. So if you're sitting here this morning, and you're struggling with sin this morning, God does not love you any less because of what you're doing. It is about God's caress for you, his unmerited kindness to you. Jesus loves you just the same because he died for your sin, past, present, and future. And there is nothing supernatural about Mary as a person. There is nothing that Mary could do to make God love her more and nothing that she had done to make God love her less. There is nothing that we can do to make God love us more and nothing we have done that makes God love you less. That is why the good news of Jesus is a reality for us today. Mary was favored simply because God poured out his caress, his grace to her in spite of her. Because God's favor is good favor this morning. Now you think, can it get even better than that? Well, yes, it can. And here's why. In that same chapter, the gospel writer Luke uses a second word to explain what highly favored means. The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
And the word for highly favored is not the same word as charis. This word is actually mentioned only two times in the New Testament, and it's very important for us to learn. Imagine your friend or brother or sister or spouse taking off their sock right now beside you, their shoes and their socks, and they have an orange toe. Just imagine that for a minute. I know that's kind of disturbing, and you'll probably have nightmares about it. I'm telling you this to give you a sense of what this next word is in Greek. It's called karato. Karato. So think of an orange toe. That might help you remember this word. It is the object of grace. So charis is the state of grace. Then this word that Luke uses to describe highly favored means the object of grace. Karato. Now, I have something in this cupboard here. Um, it is a bag of Cheetos. Who likes Cheetos? Does anyone here like Cheetos? Okay. Um, this is how Carato is demonstrated. What's your name? Abby? Abby, here's a gift for you. You're welcome. That is a demonstration of Carato. God coming down to us and giving us unmerited favor. This word is only, uh, like I, I told you, it is only used twice in the New Testament. The second time it's used is in Ephesians chapter 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he, God, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has caratoed to us in the one he love, loves. So it's kind of like this, this picture. It is like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit got together before creation began, and they said, who is going to be on our all-star team? And they started to pick people. They're like, Dave, Abby, Mark, the, the, this whole church at Troshu, Every people of every tongue and language are going to be on our all-star team. Now we've got all of our players. Let's create the world. The message paraphrase says this. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind and had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ, what pleasure he took in planning all this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of Carato, his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. So you might be asking right now, why does God favor some people over other people? Isn't, isn't that a bothersome question to you? Don't you wonder why he chose some people and not another? Well, one way to reconcile this tension is to ask for what purpose does God show favoritism? Dr. Carissa Quinn says, Israel was not chosen for salvation, but for a purpose. You're chosen for a purpose this morning. God's people are called to display who Yahweh is to the nations around them so that they would know and worship the one true God. So salvation to the nations was not plan B. It was God's mission all along. 
And she goes on to say, God chose Israel and ultimately Jesus, and this results in the exact opposite of God favoring one group to the exclusion of others. Because he has chosen you, he has given you a mission to go and tell other people about this good news of Charis and Cheritu. So this invitation is open to you. Maybe you're watching online today, or maybe you're sitting in the service today and you don't have a relationship with Christ. Can I tell you, the invitation is, is open to you to experience God's kindness and his mercy today so that you can be part of God's all-star team. So being a favored one is about identity. It is about being the object of his grace. So this is good news for us, that you have a new identity in Jesus. You have experienced charis, this state of grace, and now you are the object of his grace through Jesus Christ. So if you know Jesus this morning, you are a highly favored child of God this morning. So just turn to your neighbor and say, you are highly favored this morning. Come on, do it with excitement. You are highly favored. Now, being highly favored comes with great responsibility. And James talks about this he says, if you are going to be a favored one, then you have a high responsibility. And being a favored one means giving up your right to choose favorites. I'm not talking about a hockey team here. He says this, James says this, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And then down to verse 8, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, but... If you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Now, why would James say that to us? James is telling us that because we have been favored by God, because we have experienced his charis, his unmerited grace in our lives, and because we have been the object of gracious visitation in Jesus, we display God's grace to others. And that's why we don't favor people. So living in our true identity is more than just being religious by trying to earn God's favor. John Piper has said, your faith is not the basis of God choosing you, but the result of it. Let me say that again. Your faith is not the basis of God choosing you, but the result of it. In other words, God chose you as an object of his affection, an object of his love before the foundation of the world and in Christ, he has visited you, and now your responsibility is to go and show kindness to other people. So I think we have two responses to this good news this morning. Number one, to come to a place of worship and gratitude, to give thanks to, to the Heavenly Father for loving us and adopting us into the family of God. Number two, we need to ask, who is it that we know that needs our unmerited kindness and our pursuit of gracious visitation today. Maybe it is somebody in your family. Maybe it is someone in your neighborhood. Maybe it is someone in your church family who needs to experience God's grace this morning. So two things. One, give thanks. Number two, to actually go and visit someone this week and express God's charis and his karatu to them. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much 
for showing us your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and showing us that we don't have to earn your favor. We have experienced because of the, the good news of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection in our place on the cross. And because of that, we have been blessed. We have been blessed people, just like Mary, highly favored people. And because of that, we can demonstrate to the world this good news of Jesus by going and reaching people with the grace of God in their situation. So we are grateful. God, help us uh, right now to just think of maybe three people in our lives that we can show caris to this week. So would you, we're just going to pause here for a minute, God. Would you just uh, speak to us about three people that need your grace this week? And all God's people said, Amen. You are dismissed.